again for a moment, let's bow in prayer. And those tremendous words will help us to affirm our faith. By grace I am redeemed. By grace I am restored. And now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my God. And Father, as we truly and faithfully surrender our lives to you, we ask now that once again as we come to your word, we will hear you speak. Through the Holy Spirit, be our counselor. And give us, O oh Lord, yes, an ear to hear and a heart that gratefully responds to you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, again, I, I thank uh, Christoph for the opportunity of uh, sharing in this evening service. Uh, and maybe I'm not always thankful for the passages that he gives me to, to preach on, but it's always good to be forced to preach on something that you haven't preached on before. Uh, and, and 2 Samuel 7 is a key chapter in the story of King David. And, and I ask you to turn it up again, page 310. And I, and I have to admit that I, I probably didn't fully grasp this until I had to spend time considering it for this evening's uh, sermon. Uh, and God makes a promise here to David in this chapter, which is so significant in the gospel of our salvation. Uh, and this chapter includes two events. Neither are accounts similar to what has proceeded in the earlier chapters of conflict and success. But the first account is of God's revelation to the prophet Nathan. And the second is the account of David's prayer to the Lord. Now, we have been reading through 2 Samuel, and the story of David's reign as a king has been unfolding in the, these earlier chapters. Remember, Saul has died, and David's succession has been preoccupied with division and conflict. Abner, Saul's general, is killed, and Ishbosheth, Saul's son, is murdered. And this brought to an end the, the tension between the tribes of Israel and the clans of Judah. David is anointed king over all of Israel. And the Jebusites in the south resisted David, but he captured Jerusalem and took up residence and named the fortress the city of David. And David had a palace built in the city of David. The best of cedar was transported from Tyre, and master builders from the city of Tyre were employed in building a palace suitable for a king and his household. It all started to look impressive, and success was in the air. But the Philistines were always irritating and a nuisance. David inquired of the Lord what he should do, and God revealed a plan to beat the Philistines, and David, applying the strategy, was able to defeat the Philistines from Gibeon to Gezer. And then chapter 6 tells the story of how David brought the ark to Jerusalem. And this was a significant thing. The ark was the symbol of God's presence with the Israelites. It has been constantly on the move. 
And to establish it in Jerusalem in the tent David had especially commissioned for it was a major event. And there was much celebration to mark the accomplishment. And David's celebration, you may remember at the end of chapter 6, was a bit outlandish and didn't meet with the approval of his wife, Michael. Then chapter 7 begins with David settling in Jerusalem and adjusting to his new palace. He had a large household to get accommodated and make happy. And we read in chapter 5 that he, that he took on more concubines and wives and he had 11 more children born to him. Now this must have taken time to accommodate. And during this time, we read, the Lord had given him a rest from all his enemies. A ceasefire from hostilities must have been welcome. A lull in all the fighting on a period of peace, peace must have been relaxing, even to have time to, to settle after his nomadic life and have time even to be able to recognize the family he had and to account for them must have been bliss. He was able to sit back and mull over his successes and enjoy the comforts of his home. He sat and admired his views over Jerusalem and the Judean hills and enjoy his banquets in his cedar-paneled dining rooms. He sat on comfortable furniture, possibly of cedar, manufactured by the best carpenters from Tyre. And he was overwhelmed by the skill of the stonemasons who built the walls and the towers of his palace. Can you imagine it? Maybe you have moved recently and you're still getting used to your new home. And you remember the, the stress of the move. You're possibly uh, accustomed to it now and you're beginning to enjoy your new surroundings and comforts. A rest from the pressures is welcome. And Jesus welcomes, or sorry, David welcomes the rest. But in a moment of contemplation and possibly after returning to his luxury and opulence uh, after visiting the ark in, the, in his tabernacle, which was a, a flimsy, inadequate tent. The thought hits him. Here I am, living in a house of cedar with the ark of God, and it remains in a tent. And he consults with his spiritual advisor, Nathan. His pastor after possibly being surprised by David's concern for the ark, tells him, whatever, you, whatever is on your mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. Now, this is a sublime piece of counsel from Nathan in regard to service for God. And 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2 has been a verse that changed my life 45 years ago. It was when I was considering, could God be calling me to ministry? I had been contemplating this, praying about it, asking myself the question, could I be a minister? Would I be able to study and learn Hebrew and Greek? Those were big questions. And I came across 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2 in my Bible reading. 
And it got me thinking really seriously about the step I should take. I, I was teaching at the time and studying in the evenings at the Belfast Bible College. My school boss, the, the principal of the school where I worked, got to hear I was attending BBC. And one day he stopped me on a corridor. He asked, Noble, are you thinking of going into the ministry of the Presbyterian Church? And I replied, yes. I never said this to anyone previously. It was that moment. And he replied, whatever is on your mind, go ahead and do it. Now, there might be someone here this evening or listening, and you're considering taking a new direction in your life or service of Jesus. It might be ministry or some form of mission work. It might be coming forward to assist in one of the ministries in Hamilton Road. It might be teaching in a Sunday school, or it could be leading a, a small group. And we've been thinking a lot about fruitfulness on the front line. It might be that you are considering where your front line is. Possibly you are considering a change of job. Possibly you are being challenged about how you can be an effective disciple for Jesus in your place of work or in your neighborhood. Possibly you are being spoken to by God about how you can speak to a friend about your faith in Jesus. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7 says, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. The decision to take a new direction in life can be like taking a bungee jump. Maybe, maybe some of you did watch uh, Freeze the fear on BBC One a few months uh, ago. The celebrities were challenged to go to do a bungee jump off a very high bridge, which was maybe two or three times the, the height of, of this building. Probably three or maybe even four. Some of the participants did, but others didn't. They couldn't take that step off the edge of the bridge. Now, many of us may find it hard to take the jump of faith and respond to God's calling, to whatever that might be, to make the move to another community, to take on a different job, to commit yourself to a new ministry in the church. But this verse, though, assures us that God is with us. And he's not calling us into something we can't do. You see, we can't do the bungee jump. There are times, though, in our walk with Jesus, what we wish to do is stalled. And this is the paradox we see in this chapter and David's story. David has been minded to build a house for the ark. And Nathan has an alternative vision from the Lord. And so we see here, firstly, the Lord has another plan 
Lord speaks to Nathan and reveals a different plan in verses 4 to 17. David may have been sitting back reflecting on all his achievements. He was now king and there was no threat from within. He had established his own city in Jerusalem and had built an oppressive palace. Was he beginning to think, now surely God will be pleased if I build a house for him. But God's plan was he would provide the house for the ark, not David. Commentators refer to the thinking that, that was common in the Near East at that time. And, and many of the, the kings in the, in the Near East would succeed in battles and, and seek his continuing blessing by building or repairing the temple of his God. The king would then expect his God's good favor and success in battles and the gaining of land and, and wealth. See, the thinking was, if some good was done for God, then the God would reward and give further success. But that's not how our God's plan works. His is a work of grace. All David's successes were the initiative of God and the results were achieved through grace from God, not solely by David's might or strength. Everything David has is from God. And the Lord reminds him, see, see the pronouns in, in, in verse 8, for example, I took you from the pasture. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone. Verse 10, I will provide a place for my people. Verse 11, I appointed leaders. I will give you rest. And verses 5 to 7, God asks you, the one to build me a house. God asks, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? God doesn't need David to build a house. God wasn't needing a house. He had been dwelling among his people. God wasn't to be contained in a building. And this seems to me that this is the lesson we have learned in the church. We can have all kinds of plans. We can build extensive facilities. We can imagine how the ministry may grow. But it will be by God's grace that the church will advance and develop. You see, God can tell us to hold on, rethink, delay. His time and our timing can be in conflict. We must wait on him and the work of his spirit. Now, I, I can recall times in ministry when I have had to be more patient and, and less ambitious. I remember way back in the 1980s when it was being popular to have pew Bibles placed in the church. The elders were convinced of my proposal to acquire new international version Bibles for every pew. When it came to getting them, well, the church committee because some didn't like the New International Version 
or the idea of providing Bibles didn't agree to provide the funds to purchase the Bibles. My plan and God's timing wasn't congruent. Now, a number of months after this, a widow in the church offered me a substantial gift of money to buy something in memory of her husband. I suggested to her pew Bibles. She agreed enthusiastically. The Bibles were purchased without any objection from the committee. God's timing and grace is always preferable. And I speak to many people at present who seem to be at a transition in their lives, like uh, myself and possibly retired and in the past few years or months. For many, their identity was in their occupation. I wonder, is it time for doing some reviewing or where you are in your discipleship? Is what you are doing with your life now that you are retired, integrating with the plan God has for you? And, and, and the COVID pandemic allowed many people and families to plan their life differently and their Sundays have been rearranged. Now I want to ask them now, what do they have in mind for their discipleship? Has the building of a temple or devotion to Christ and the church been put in the past? Could God be calling them to consider the rebuilding of a temple, that is, renewing their commitment to Christ and his church and being again engaged with church. Well, secondly, we see here the, the continuing promise of God's grace. And so we get back to the text from verses 8 to 17. It wasn't the right time for a temple to be built God was taking the initiative and preparing the way for his people to settle and he would provide them with stability and peace. Verse 11, David proposed to build a house for God in the form of a temple. God's counterproposal is to build a house for David in the sense of a dynasty. God answers the question of verse 5. He answers it in verse 11. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. It will be the offspring of David who will provide a house for God. And we know from our reading of scripture, it is Solomon uh, who will succeed David, who will build the temple. We will read that later. But God has formed a covenant here with David in these verses. And biblical scholars recognize this promise as the Davidic covenant contained in one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Now the word covenant isn't used widely in this chapter, but the promise made by God expresses the everlasting nature of the covenant of grace. And Psalm 89, if you wish to turn it up, recognizes the covenantal nature of the promise. And we read there, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. 
With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever. That you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. See, this was a covenant that would stretch beyond David, beyond even Solomon, to all the succeeding kings, many who did wrong, beyond the exile, and to the son of David, Christ Jesus. Ultimately, he is the king who will reign forever. He will establish the everlasting kingdom. He is the one who manifests unconditional love. He is the one who rescues God's people and reigns over them forever. It is Jesus who was born of Mary, whom the angel told she would bear a son, Jesus, who builds the temple of faith in men and women, who by his spirit creates a house of worship and by his grace sustains the praise of God, his Father. It may have looked like the crucifixion of Jesus, the King of the Jews, was extinguishing the dynasty of David. But God raised Jesus from the dead to reign victorious and over the eternal throne promised to the house of David. You see, God had other plans than for David to build a temple. And God has plans to build his temple and his church in every age. And we are the focus of his building plan and his everlasting building plan project alluded to here. We who are enjoying the benefits of the new covenant, the grace of a loving God, are like, we are like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable God to God through Jesus Christ, as we read in 1 Peter 2 and 5. See, David was denied the building of a temple. But he was promised a dynasty which would last forever, which was ultimately revealed to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who took upon himself our sin and shame. And David was denied the building of the temple, but we who are to be temple builders must sit where David sat before the Lord. And we read in verses 18 to 28. And so we see thirdly here, the humble acceptance of God's grace by David. David was in a better place in his life. And for some time, he was crowned and enthroned. We have been considering how comfortable he was in his palace, invested with the admiration of God's people. He was under no immediate threat from alien armies. He had won his battles. He had done a, a super spiritual act when he got the ark tabernacled in Jerusalem. And he was enthusiastically ambitious about doing something further for God. 
He would build a house for God. But Nathan had had a revelation from God. And David sat before the Lord. He had to come down from his high horse, as we would often say of people who are pretentious and pompous. By David sitting down, he was accepting the grace of God and humbled to do so. For a king, and he was a king enthroned by his, for a king to sit down was to renounce his royal ranking, abdicate his authority, to leave the driving seat and to step down from the divine elevation his worshiping people held him with. Eugene Peterson said, David sat an incredible feat when we begin to understand the conditions under which he did it. So full of desire for God he was, so bursting with plans for God. Stopping David in that condition was like reigning in a team of horses. But Nathan stopped him. More accurately, David let himself be stopped by God. And there are times when we have to stop and sit before Almighty God. We can get carried away with our preoccupations, with our plans, with how well the, the church is doing, with our successes and achievements. We can think more highly of ourselves and forget to recognize the providence of God in our lives. We have to get down of our high horse. And ministers can be prone to this just like anyone else. And so can moderators. We read, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. We have to recognize David had listened to Nathan's sermon. The focus had moved from what he could do to accepting what God would do with his life. He humbly accepts what God has done so far in his life and for his family. And he addresses God as sovereign Lord. And I like that new international version translation. All their translations have the address in these verses uh, slightly different. But I like this translation, sovereign Lord. And I pray using these words often myself. They recognize God as enthroned in heaven and all-powerful and that he is the one we buy in humble obedience to verse 27, we read, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And it takes courage to pray this prayer of contrition and to linguish control and surrender fully to God. And possibly there could be some here this evening or listening, and you have never been courageous enough. 
never been willing to give up your plans for how you should live and let God unfold his plan to you. You've never accepted Christ and his creator sacrifice on the cross for you. You've never been able to make the prayer of repentance and faith. We all have need to sit at the feet of Jesus, forfeit our pride, and like David, divert our ambitions from self and let God build, God build us into temples that are witnesses to Jesus. Let us pray. O sovereign Lord, we recognize that your ways are not always our ways and your plans are greater than our plans. We confess that our motives can be shaped so wrongly by our pride and our false reasoning. We praise you for your covenant of grace and that your providence will always determine that which is for us and for our good. We confess we don't always see clearly what is ahead of us, but sovereign Lord, help us to trust in your guidance and may we be obedient to your will. We praise you, O Lord Almighty, for the household of faith, for the enduring family you have promised, and for the joy of knowing Christ, whose dominion reigns supremely and forever. And so, bless we ask all who join in this prayer. And may we go from here this evening assured of your presence. O sovereign Lord, be with us in our service of you. And may the witness we make point to Jesus and his love. Amen.